Amen. Amen. God bless you so much. We are going to have an amazing time in the presence of God today. And it's my prayer that we will all meet God at the point of our needs. Amen. All right. Today I want to share a message which I have titled, Don't Overstay Your Welcome in Bethesda or Bethesda. Amen. And we are going to base our passages or this message on two passages in the Bible. The first one is in a very popular one regarding a man who had been sick for 38 years and had never received any healing until Jesus came his way. The Bible says in the first passage, we have John 5, 1 to verse 9, the first part of verse 9, and the second passage is Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says that after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep pool, or sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. And it had five porches. Everybody say five porches. Five porches. Other versions say five porticles. By five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people. There were blind people. There were lame people. There were paralyzed people. There were people who were waiting for the moving of the water. Bible says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. An amazing pool. Now a certain man, everybody say a certain man. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him. He said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps before me and gets into the pool first. Then Jesus said to him, rise up, take your bed, and walk. And the Bible says, and immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. Amen. The second passage uh, is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And he says that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the Bible says that certainly not. Shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Amen. So today the passage that we have is about a character in the Bible that the Bible just refers to as a certain man. No name. Most of the people in the Bible, they were referred to by their names. There was Peter, there was James, there was David. Uh, there were several other names. But this particular man, the Bible says, 
a certain man. So when it comes to a place where a person is just referred to as a certain man, it probably means that the person in question was of no significance. Just a certain man, a certain guy, a certain boy. But, but this is where the personality of Jesus really comes in. The man had no name. The man had no record. But Jesus had an interaction with him. This is because when you are down to nothing, and the world sees you as a nobody, especially in these days of titles, in these days, if you are not among the apostles, you have fallen short. If you are not among the prophets, you have fallen short. If you don't have pastor tied to your name, you have fallen short. Some time ago, somebody reached me and said, why do you just keep calling yourself Kwekuma? And I said that because that is my name. When God created me, he didn't tell me that you are a pastor or reverend Kweku. God just created me and he made my parents give me a name. That is my identity. Every other thing is an addition that we just decided to put in attachment to our lives. In these days, when people are down to nothing and they have no titles, they have no money, they have no prestige, that is where Jesus breaks all the protocol and he reaches out to you. Listen, this man was just a certain man. He was not a good man or a bad man. He had nothing to his name. He just was a certain man. But of all the people around the pool who were trying to get into the pool, Jesus just decided to walk to this man who had no name. In these days, if you don't have connection, if you are not connected to certain people, people will not associate themselves with you. There are certain people who even move in accordance with green card. So, yeah, because I live in a certain state, the first question among African people they meet you is that, uh, uh, how, what is your status like? Because when you say that, oh, I don't have any status, they will just put you aside because now they have come to a level in life where they only associate with people who have green card or citizenship. Status in life. But this is where Jesus breaks all the protocol. He walked to this man. This man was not a lawyer. This man was not a physician. This man was not a PhD holder. He was not a person of might. He was not a person of political influence. He was just a certain man. A certain man who had been sick for a long time. So there was really no positive associated with his life. He was a nameless man of no pedigree he had no background but jesus broke the protocol he came and he talked to him so don't ever think that because of your background because of your name that because you come from somewhere a village in africa which is not even represented on a map because you don't have a certain name or status in life that jesus cannot reach out and have an encounter with you if Jesus could make time on his schedule to come to a nameless man who was sick, who was weak, who was afflicted, who was diseased, it means that he can also make time for you. In the middle of a feast, Jesus came to a pool in Bethesda. 
You know, the pool in Bethesda was by a certain place called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was a place in the temple where they brought all the sheep that were supposed to be sacrificed. So that was a temple. But Jesus walked past the temple and came to Bethesda. A place outside the temple. It was actually north of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He didn't go into the temple. He came to a place outside the temple. And because of, and that's why I want to talk about the things I'm going to be talking about today. There are certain profound implications in this story. And I believe that today when you hear these things, it will cause you to rise up in yourself. And know that you also matter in life as far as the word of God is concerned. So let's take a look at some profound implications in this story. Number one. Jesus often does some of his best works outside the temple. Jesus does some of his best works outside the temple. So there was a temple just near the place. Jesus walked past the temple and came to Bethesda. A lot of us limit the presence of God to an auditorium. I'm not saying don't come to church. A lot of us limit the presence of God to a church space. A lot of us limit the presence of God to Sunday morning on Zoom or YouTube. And outside that, they don't believe that God's presence can even be at work. But God always proves to us that his presence is not confined to any particular space. Most people only sense the anointing of, of the Spirit of God on Sundays. And on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they are bad. They don't even think that God is even alive. They go about life like God's presence cannot even be there. But God wants us to come out of this kind of orthodoxy and believe that his power extends beyond a church auditorium. We need to come outside normal religious ideas because God does not conform to the traditions of the day. If we limit the power of God to a person, if we limit the power of God to a place, if we limit the power of God to a thing, we are going to miss out on the promises and the blessings of God. Remember, remember that Bethesda was outside the temple. But Jesus walked past the temple and came to a nobody who had been sick for almost his entire life. May we all, after our various church events, still continue to experience the power of God in our lives. Amen. The second point is that, and this is what Bethesda means. Bethesda means the house of mercy or the house of grace. Hallelujah. It's amazing that it's a nice name, Bethesda. Nice name means house of grace. I don't know if I may be wrong. I don't know if there are any human beings in life who go by that name. Huh? Uh, Bethesda Akoto. <laughs> or Bethesda Kumba. I don't know. But I have not. But it's a good name. It's a, it's a very good name. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I wish that people would rather strive to get good names attached to their lives. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't look like cute. So that's why people don't use it. Hmm? Bethesda Gomez. <laughs> I, I come to church and uh, shall we welcome a pastor Bethesda Mafo? I just come like that. It's a powerful name. But instead, 
What kind of names do we have today? We have names like Lakisha, Talula, Kalisha, names with Ogona, Manisha, Milika. The name has got to have a cue. Lakinta. And names like that are the, I don't know if these names have meanings. But for people, they sound like cute. Then people go, hey, hi, hi, Keisha, hi, Mia. And, th- and people are finding it so cute and nice. Take good names. Names which have relevance and names which have meanings. Bethesda. Jesus is Lord. Amen. The awesome thing about the mercy or the grace of God is that grace of God often hangs out with, with disgrace. Where people are disgraced, where people are going to be shamed, where people are going to be down to nothing, that's where the grace of God shows up. Grace hangs out of shame. Grace hangs out of affliction. Grace hangs out of sinners. Grace hangs out of troubled people. Grace hangs out with infirmity. Grace hangs out of sick people. Grace goes out to the lowest level. That's why when Jesus came to that place, it was not about the people who were walking and trying to get into the pool. It was about this person with no name who couldn't even move properly. He came right to him. Grace goes out to the lowest levels, to the ditches, to the mud, to the slums, to the slimy places of life, to the homeless, to the forsaken. You know, in this world, you will never know who your friend is until the day that you get trouble. When you get trouble, the people that you call friend, they will all disappear. They'll all cease to remember your name. You call them and they'll ask that, "Eh, can I, they'll behave like they don't know you. But when it was all good, you had a good job, you had money, everything was going on well in this America and everything was good, people will just be around you, they'll be playing and let the day of trouble or adversity come. And you see where all those people are called friends, you see where they'll disappear to. But grace goes to the lowest levels. Grace goes to those who are homeless. Grace goes to those who are forsaken. So so the location of the Bethesda pool is a representation of all the people of the world. They had all kinds of people who needed to be impacted by the grace of God. And practically, everything we need to accomplish in life is only possible through the power of God's grace. You need grace to live. You need grace to pray. You need grace to fast. You need grace to meditate on the word of God. You need grace to be holy. You need grace to live. I mean, without the grace of God, you cannot exist. So it's amazing that some people wake up in the morning, they will hit their chest and say that, wow, I am powerful. Because they believe that, yes, it's through the things that they did. You know, your pastor, as I stand here right now, I'm, I'm doing dieting. But it's not a dieting that is making me lame. I'm doing some diet. They call it what? Keto, 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 something. I don't eat proper food now because I want to really reduce to a certain level that will make me healthy. But if at the end of the day I become healthy, I'm not going to say that it is the diet that saved my life. I'll say that it's the grace of God. 
Because if there are certain things, no matter what you do, you can walk, you can talk, you can exercise, you can jump, you can do juicing, you can do everything, but the problem will still be there. We live because of the grace of God. You need grace to run the Christian race efficiently. You need grace to be effective in whatever you do. Every benefit you need from God flows from his grace. Amen. The third thing is the significance of the number five. Everybody say five. You know, when we're reading the passage, I said five porches, five particles. The pool of Bethesda had five porches. You know what a porch is? A porch isn't really a room. When you build a house, a porch is a place which has a roof. It has a covering on top of it. It provides shade. So some people, you can come and sit there for a short while because it will give you shelter from the sun. It will give you shelter from the rain. It will give you some kind of protection. But it's not a place that you can make like a bedroom. So it's a temporary place that serves as a cover for you. So the porches served as a shelter. They served as a shade. They served as a protection from the weather elements. It gave the people their comfort while they waited for the stirring of the waters, which happened once a year. It's serious, so once a year for one person to be healed. You know, and this was like the waiting place. And no matter your situation, you had to hang out with several other needy people as you waited for the stirring of the waters by the Lord's angel. You know, the number five reminds me, he reminds me that God created the world in five days. I know somebody say, hey, pastor, this is not true. It's, no, no. God really created the world day one, day two, day three, day four, and day five. On the fifth day, God looked at what he had created and he saw that it was good. And then he created man on the sixth day. So what God did was to prepare the first five days for man to just walk into the things that he had created. So the five days represented grace. There are lots of us. God just has prepared things ahead of time. And all that we have to do is to wake up and walk into it. And after walking into it, you are proud. After walking into it, you are arrogant. No. The number five stands for what God prepared ahead for us so that on the sixth day what he creates what he creates of you you can just wake up and walk into what he has already prepared for you on the sixth day he created man he brought him into the finished work of five days and all of a sudden man entered and man possessed Something that he did not pray about, he did not pray for, he did not play any role in its making. This was undeserved. And for me, this was grace. You know, can you just imagine, example, example children, <laughs> and it happens in my house. I know it happens in a lot of you, your houses too. Children, parents, they buy the car. And when the children reach a certain age, parents allow them to use the car. It doesn't take long, and the children will be calling the cars their cars. My car, my car, where is my key? They have not bought anything before. They just walked into the grace of a parent's house, of a parent's car, 
of a parent's property. And now children, they say that this is my house. You did not build the house. Dad and mom, they pay mortgage for the house every time. But when they go out, they tell their friends that, you know, that house, that's my house. There are some children, they just walk into property. There are kids who didn't have any choice in where they were born. They just woke up one morning and they were born in the United States of America. And now they are called United States of America citizens. And then they walk around and say, hey, here comes the citizen. Citizen one. You know... Have you ever had God bring you into something that you did not have anything to do with this establishment? But this is what God does by his mercy and his grace. He works things for us and he just causes us to walk into those things. He causes us to possess those things. It's the grace of God. Some of you are going to have God build a house just for you to walk into it for, for you to possess. It's the grace of God. You don't know how you got the house. The house was placed on the market. And, but then by some way, some way, and people were struggling for the house, but God had already prepared that place for you. And he gives you the opportunity to walk into that house. Some of you are going to buy cars that God has already prepared. Some of you are going to get families that God has already prepared for you aforetime. Some of you are going to get beautiful marriages. I know some of us become come and stand here. We have been married for 26 years. It's the grace of God. Some people marry for two days, and then they stop. They say, we cannot do this thing anymore. And you think your 25 years is because you are a skillful marriage counselor? There are even marriage counselors whose marriages are falling apart. It's the grace of God. If you are married for long and somebody couldn't make it, it's not for you to say that, hey, you have to know how to marry you. This is not how to marry it's not for you. It's not your place. For you, it has been the grace of God. Let other people also know that they can also benefit from the grace of God. Amen. Five days. Five stands for grace. Adam was not present when God did all the work in five days. But God made him and placed him in the garden and gave him the power and authority over everything in it. This, I say, is grace. It was like God was saying, I did it without you, but I did it for you. That's what God was saying. God was making a point that we are breathing, we are living, and we are thriving because of five letters. G-R-A-C-E. If you don't like the grace, it's because of another set of five letters. M-E-R-C-Y. Mercy. Five. I know if Reverend Arthur was here, he would have given us what all those letters stand for because most of the time he comes up with those revelations. Grace, mercy, the number five. For all of us, God is bringing us into stuff that he has already made available before we got here. When you take a look at the piercings of Jesus, piercings on the body of Jesus, the Bible says he was pierced on the head, one. He was pierced in the hand, left hand, right hand. That makes three. He was pierced in his feet. You know, the two feet were put together like that, and the nail went through them like that. That was one piercing. And then he was pierced on the side. Water and blood came out. Five sets of piercings on the body of Jesus. God was trying to tell us that there is something in the number five for you. There is something in grace that God has got in place for his people. The crown of thorns, his hands, his head, his feet, his side. This was God demonstrating his grace to us again. 
And then again, we go even to look in the, in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians says that he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, he gave some evangelists, he gave some pastors, he gave some teachers. Fivefold ministry. That was the number five again. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, grace was provided to us through the fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints. So it was no accident that these people in Bethesda, they all happened to be under five porches. God was telling us a story there. Because God wanted us to know that there was spiritual significance associated with this. He wanted us to know that. So let's stop walking through life puffed up like God owes us something. It's all by his grace. Some of us think that you are doing God or someone a favor by coming to church. People will call you and that. Okay, if you do, I'll come some more. Listen, it's the grace of God. What makes you walk? What makes you go to work? What makes you breathe? There is somebody in the hospital today who is just struggling to just take the next breath. And you stand there and you say that, if, if, you, if, they, if they force me plenty, I won't come. Stay where you are. Stay. Stay right where you are. We live, we move because of the grace of God. It's by his grace. Some of us think that God is doing us a favor by coming to church on a weekday meetings and for prayer. No, it is all by the grace of God. G-R-A-C-E. Through the, the, the grace of five, God is bringing us to a place for us to understand this. Amen. The fourth point is that grace covers you. Grace covers you. Some of us, we think that, and we'll contest that because Bethesda, or Bethesda was a place of grace, a house of grace, why weren't, why weren't all the people healed? Grace. But, but it, was, it was just once a year per person. The reason for Bethesda was for the grace. Grace covered them. Grace kept them until they were able to make the chance or create the opportunity to get into the pool. The grace was still keeping them. That's what grace does. Grace always provides a covering. Not every, although everyone in the church looks like holy, not everybody in the church is holy. Some of us are bad. Not everybody. When people come to church, they look like, when they smile, you think that, oh, the angels have visited the planet Earth. When people, when we come to church, we can, I cannot look at you and tell you what is in your head. I don't even know the plans that you have after this service. You know, but there are people, the point I'm making is there are people, we are here, somebody made a profound statement. He said, he said we don't get right to be saved. We don't get right before you are saved. You get saved so that you can get things right. So some of us, we behave. That's why I get upset when people stand in the office of God. And they are the ones who are examining people. They are correcting people. But they never have the light shining on themselves. As far as they are concerned, 
They are the holiest thing that was ever created by man or by God on this earth. So they walk through life. They walk through. When they come to church, they are not listening to the word of God because the word of God is below them. For them, they are there to make sure that every other person does what is right, except them. But we are here because it is not all well with us. All of us, from the pastor to the least in the congregation, we are here because we are under the covering of God's grace. We live, we move, everything that we do is because of grace. Grace speaks for us in many ways. Yes, yes, I know that there are many of us, when it comes to, I mean, uh, I mean living the perfect life, uh, we are the ones. But deep within you, you know that it is the grace of God that is providing a shelter, just like it was providing a shelter for those in Bethesda. It's, it, the grace is providing a shelter for you from the harsh realities of life. God is covering you while he's healing you. God is protecting you while he's completing his work on you. And he's helping you as he covers you from the day-to-day -day activities of your life to enable his work in your life to be completed. So we are all not going to get perfect or whole one day or something like that, but the grace, the porches are still serving as our cover every day until God completes his work. For 38 years, Jesus knew. Because Jesus, Jesus said that he knew that he had been there for a long time. He had been sick for a long time. So when he walked to that place, he, he was relaxed. But he knew that the porches were serving as a great cover for this person. And for 38 years, he was still under the grace of God. So he was not there yet, but grace was keeping him. Amen. Believe me. The covering of God's grace is going on for all of us. From the pulpit to everyone else out there. The covering is going on. It is by grace that we are all where we are today. And, and that's why when I was doing this and writing this, I, a song came to my mind. A song came to my mind saying that if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I have been? You know, and I, I know some of you know that song. I'm, I'm going to ask our brother Collins to, to help us. And I am believing and trusting God that as we go through this, it's a very short song. As we go through life, we'll always remember this. That if it had not been, for last week I think Deacon Jackson even made us sing it. He didn't know I was writing this message, but he came up with this song. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell where would I be? Well 
he kept my enemies away. He let the sun shine through a cloudy day. Oh, he wrapped me in the cradle of his arms when he knew I'd been battered and taught so give it hard. Not be for the Lord on my side. I say, tell me where would I be? Where would I be? I say, if it had. Sing it with me that if it had not been for the Lord on my side, for the Lord on my side. Tell me where would I be? Where will I? Thank you, Jesus. If half the people you know knew who you really were, they wouldn't want to touch you. There are a lot of things. There are certain people who are guilty of the things that they are accusing people of. It's because light has not been shown on this. If half the people knew who you really were, they wouldn't even want to associate with you. But grace has offered you a second chance over and over again. So I'm pleading with you, like I always say from this pulpit, that just be humble. Just be humble and thank God for his grace. Amen. So the Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 6 that when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he already had been in that condition a long time. So he said to him, do you want to be made well? I believe Jesus, the Bible makes it nice. But I'm sure Jesus was saying that, you, do you really, really, really want to get, get well? 38 years. Let me talk about six things and then we'll be done for today. That we need to understand about the grace of God. Six things. Number one, that's connected with the title of today's message. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't overstay your welcome. This man's problem was not that he was not a recipient of grace. He had been under the porches all along. He had been living under God's grace for 38 years. And Jesus himself knew that he had been under porches for too long. The question is, can you overstay your welcome? We know in this country that parents can throw out their kids when they get to certain ages. 18 years, if you are not working and you, are, you don't respect and stop, they will throw you out. It's only in some of our African homes that you see somebody is 32 years and a half and the person is still living with parents. Thank God for Africa. Hallelujah. It's the grace. We have serious porches in our, in, in our homes. But here, you are 18 years, you are pompous, the house is not for you, you start disrespecting, they will throw you out. It's in this country that a sibling can serve an eviction notice to another sibling. And these days, some spouses, they will do it. Husband, tell, hey, gay, leave the place. Or wife. Friends can do it too. But when it comes to grace, it seems some of us can get too comfortable under the covering for way too long. But if you're not careful, grace that was sent to cover you can begin to cripple your development. It gets to a time when some of us begin to use grace as a cloak 
for doing bad stuff. Like I said, I always use this term. Some people are bad. They, they, they are doing stuff, but grace is just covering them. And they will not keep their mouth shut too. They are out there correcting people, but they know that under their cloak, stuff, stuff is going on. There are people who are doing horrible things. People are using us as a cloak for maliciousness. Because of this same grace. We are not living under the place where God, when God knows that this is what you are doing, he will strike you dead. And because of that, you also not keep your mouth shut and pray that God will help you. You are there as an examiner, chief examiner, examining the life of other people. It gets to a time when some of us use this as a cloak. We can also be at a place in our life when it becomes too familiar. Some folks get stuck in help. They get stuck in grace. They get stuck in mercy throughout their lives as believers. Listen, it's not, it's not helpful for you to overstay your welcome in Bethesda. The second point is that the house of grace can sometimes be a harbor for pain if we stay too long. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then the apostle Paul himself responds and says that certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, God will eventually kick you out and tell you that it's time to stand on your own. It's time to grow up. It's time for you to get stronger. Don't take God's leniency or kindness with you for a weakness. Don't take God's uh, kindness for a weakness. Don't get stuck on the porch just because God has provided it. It does not mean that you've got to stay there forever. You know, there was a time in the life of the Israelites that God gave them a porch to stay in. The land of Goshen in Egypt. The Bible says that while it was raining cats and dogs at one place, at one part of, Israel, of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, they didn't experience it. It was grace. While God was plaguing the land of Egypt, plague, plague one, plague two, plague three, plague four, plague five, plague six, the land of Goshen didn't experience any other thing. When they were, the whole land was experiencing darkness. In the land of Goshen, there was light. That was grace. But God didn't intend for them to live in Goshen forever. Because their continual stay there will mean that they were going to be slaves. And God didn't want that for his children. And some of us, maybe after landing from wherever you came from, from Africa, you get a job, and initially we get happy. I remember when I came here, I wasn't even living here. I, I, I came from Africa, I came to visit, and then I went to do a certain job. The moment they paid me, I remember I think the pay was like $9 something. The moment I saw the pay, I quickly multiplied it by what pertains back home in Africa. And I said, wow, I am a serious billionaire. <laughs> When God blesses you with that from the beginning, it does not mean that you should stay there. Some of you have been doing some things that God ushered you into to serve as a porch for you. But he doesn't intend for you to be there forever. It gets to a time when God himself will have to make sure that he ruffles the nest to make you uncomfortable so that he can step out. So that he can bless you. After you have been there for a while, God intends for you to step up and move into a higher dimension. Because if you continue staying there, you will never be able to discover your full potential. It can be an arduous and painful place for many people to be in. But remember 
that just because God covered you at a certain level of your life does not mean that he intends for you to remain there forever. There are certain places where you are right now. It's going to come to a certain time in your life that God will actually have to work something to move you out of there because he intends to move you to a higher, higher place in life. You know, I have worked in many places. And one of the most difficult people to deal with in any work environment are those who overstayed their welcome at a certain particular position. When you went into the job, they were at a certain position. Then you decided to go to school, you went to a higher level, you went back, they were still at the same position. Those people, when new people who are moving on to higher places come, they come and they become their bosses, hey, they begin to insult them. That's why we, we were all with you. We were all doing the same. Now, what is this? They will frustrate you. They will, they will do all things to make you very uncomfortable. But that's because they chose uh, to be under their porches. They will move. But you decided that when you overstay, your welcome in a particular porch, it's about time for you to move out for God to bring about elevation in your life. And that's exactly what God intends. When people become bitter from their pain, it's because you have usually overstayed their welcome. The third point is that God gave you the porch for you to grow. Nobody built a porch, even in a regular home, like I told you from the beginning, to be a house. A porch is a porch. You can come out of the main house and come and just relax in a porch. Just because grace covered you, how long will you delay your recovery to make room for your dysfunction? Because many people, they use a place just, just so that their dysfunctions can continue. You know, I remember one time I, uh, I went into a certain home. The person we knew from telephone that the person was not well. So when I went to the home, I didn't even enter. I knocked. Nobody was responding. So I decided to use the garage. I don't, don't do that too. I, that day I wanted to get into the house. I just used the garage of the person. And I, I, when I went to the house, I realized that the person was sitting there watching TV. The person didn't see me. And the person watches TV for, <laughs> and begins to laugh and, and put, didn't know I was in the house. So I, I, I looked at it for like, it's the Holy Spirit who took me there. I looked at it for about a couple of minutes. And the person was like, hey, some, some comedy was on the TV. And the person was laughing. Bah, 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 bah. So I looked at it for a while and I said, hey, he said, hey. And when he saw me, the boy said, hmm. My shoulder, my shoulder. I said, hey. Really? There are people who feign illness just to get attention. If you're a wife who is doing that, you have to repent. Or if you're a husband who is doing that, and a man, I'll, I'll give you a pass. Maybe you don't do that very often. But sometimes some people will be sick. They are not really sick as long as they will get tender, loving care from you. How long are you going to accept that, what God has rejected? How long are you going to keep saying that this is just how I am? Accepting generational wrongs as your portion. The gift of grace is offered to us. So that we can use at a setting of various stages of our lives. And God uses the Christian journey at those various stages to help us to grow. And that decision to step out and move to a higher area of grace, it has to be yours. Amen. That's why Jesus asked the man that, do you really want to get well? It had to be his decision, not God's. Amen. It brings me to my, my next point. The decision is yours. 
The Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 6, the last part that he says unto them that will thou be made whole? I'm sure the man was surprised because Jesus knew the man was sick. So the man was like, ah, but you look at my sickness. Uh, but Jesus wanted to know that whether he really wants to get well. You know, there was a time that some Christian brethren were praying in, in, in the church. I mean, before this COVID thing, they said, we're going to fast and pray for somebody. And I said, okay, fine. So they came to see me and said, Pastor, I want to do this. So I called them and told them that, have you talked to this person you are going to fast and pray for? Find out from the person whether the person really wants what you are asking God to do for the person. Because sometimes some of the prayers you pray and the person himself or herself doesn't want it. So what are you doing? You think that your power is so great to override the person's will? It's not going to happen. Jesus wanted to make it clear to him that it was not supposed to be another person's will, but the man's own will. The decision to get well and step out of Bethesda rested with the man. Do you really want to be a good Christian? Or you just want to be on the register as a member of ICGC exhortation? Ooh, glory, hallelujah. Do you really want to be a serious person? Do you really want to be somebody whose one leg is in the world and one leg is in the church all your life? What do you want to do with your life? Do you want to be a Christian who is committed to Jesus your entire life? Or you want to keep yourself half-half? The people at work know that you are, you are just uh, somebody else. And people at church also know you to be somebody else. Is that how you really want to live your life? The decision is yours to make. Some people are used to getting attention all the time. It's made some people very lazy. There are certain people, I mean, they just, they just remain there. They use slick methods to stay out of work. They enjoy benefits from the federal system. They enjoy benefits from the state, the government. But that's why sometimes Jesus just wants to know that what is your will? Do you really want to work? Do you want to just be collecting unemployment? Do you want to really stand up as somebody who can do better for your life or with your life? It brings me to the last but one point for today. Stop making excuses. Be willing to get better. The Bible says that the impotent man he answered him and said, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, there is no man to put me into the pool. And but while I'm coming, another steps before me. Jesus wanted to know if the man had a will in him to get well. But instead of him giving him a yes or no answer, he began to make excuses. He said, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put him in the pool. The thing was that, do you want to get well? It's a simple question. And some of us do the same. We use, we use many excuses. If my parents were there, I would, it would not have been like this. If, if my church had done this for me, my Christian life would have been tough. If, if I went to a better school, look at all the other people. They went to these very great schools. They went to Harvard. They went to this. They went to Wesley Girls. Look at me. I went to Abrempom Secondary School. What can come out of my life? If I had a degree, if my husband had stepped out as a real man, my marriage would have been better. If my wife had done this, had done that, I would not have cheated. So many excuses in our lives do you want to really get better we always point to a person or group to enable or empower us to remain sick people people who always point to another person as being the cause are often sitting on something they are unwilling to change let me say that again people who always point to another person as being the cause are often they are sitting on something they are unwilling to change we have a primary responsibility to our own lives. 
This is what the Bible says. And I like the message version, uh, version better. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says that, test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't, drink, don't drift along everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay. But Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. If you fall short in your life, it's not for you to make excuses. Test yourself and do something about it. Don't get into the habit of making excuses for everything that goes wrong in your life. And there's a statement I put here. That blame is the stumbling block that will prevent you from becoming whole. Blame is the stumbling block that will prevent you from becoming uh, whole. So take responsibility and be willing to get better. This is the last point that we will pray. Missing your turn does not mean that you've got to go back to where you began. The amazing thing about this story, if you look at the story very carefully, is at first I thought the man was really, really paralyzed. 38 years. But listen to what he said. He said, while I am coming, what is a paralyzed man doing coming? While I am moving, another step before me. So this man was moving and making some progress. So if you are like you move one, two, and another man steps before you and does that, you should remain there. So that next year you move from where you stop and make another two. In 38 years, you get to the pool. But what this man was doing was that one, two, another jumps in front of you. Oh, then he goes back to the porch. Because the grace was covering him. And a lot of us are doing that. If he could make it to the porch, he could as well have made it to the pool. So he was paralyzed, but um, this man could move. He said, by the time I get there, somebody else is in. This man was moving. So he could make it almost to the pool without anybody's help. But he always went back after every missed opportunity. So what do you do or what do you go back to when you miss an opportunity you are aiming for? And some come to churches for relationship. Some come to churches for marital breakthroughs. When they go there, they realize that all the people there, they are little, they are children, they are small. They say, ah, what, kind, what kind of church is this? They'll go back. Because the focus of their coming there is to get to grab a woman or to grab a man. Or to get a husband. So when that one backfires, they are out. Some, I mean, I, I, let me just say this story. I mean, this is a story that I know. There's somebody who loved a certain, who came to a, a, a certain church. This person, unknown to the man that she loved, this person was doing prophecies, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, doing everything that a spiritual person would do. And then the person that this person was looking at, is a lady, this person was looking at, this person realized that, oh, this person is not even looking at me at all. This person went ahead and rather proposed to another woman. And so that was it. That was the end of her prophecies. That was the end of her coming to church. The next time people saw her, she was standing by the roadside as a prostitute. What do you go back to? What do you go back to? The life we have as believers is a life of progress. It's a life of going forward. Any progress means that you are not where you, are used, you, are, you used to be. So when you make progress, appreciate that. And thank God for the little steps in your life. And hold on to that. A lot of us in the church today, we want one big miracle. Boom. In the pool. You want a big miracle in the pool. But if this man had appreciated all the small steps he was making in 38 years on his own, he would have been in the pool. But he disregarded that those small steps 
were miracles on their own. There were breakthroughs on their own. Every little step you take under the grace takes you a little bit closer to your miracle. You've got to always tell yourself that you are not where you aspire to be, but you refuse to go back to where you were. Because you have come too far to allow any devil in hell to take you back to where you used to be. You've got to learn how to celebrate progress in your life, no matter how small. Some belie believers have come to the point where we are just, Jesus didn't say that everything is a miracle. There are miracles, and I believe in miracles. But everything connected with our life is not a pool miracle. Appreciate the small steps. No matter how small, don't delay the party until the goal. Celebrate all the small steps you make towards the goal. Some of us don't appreciate small steps of progress in our life. Your belief is that from the porch of grace, you should move directly to the pool of your miracle. So regardless of the small steps you make, you always make your way back to the porch of Bethesda or grace. So God's word for you today and for all of us today is that don't overstay your welcome in Bethesda. Every step you make to your breakthrough, every step you make to your miracle should be appreciated because the God of all those small steps will eventually hand you your miracle. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We bless you for your word for today. We appreciate everything that you continue to do in our life. Maybe you are out there, you have never even received the first step of having Jesus in your life. You have never given your life to Jesus. It's the opportunity I'm giving to you today that you just completely surrender your life to Jesus. Wherever you are on the Zoom platform, on the YouTube platform, in the auditorium today, I give you the gift of an open door of receiving Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and as your Savior. And today, if you are willing and obedient, you eat of the good of the land. And say this prayer with me. That Father, I know that I'm an imperfect human being. And I am sinful. But I know that you came to the cross uh, through your son Jesus to die for me. I believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. And I believe in his resurrection power that he came to save me. Today, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and as my Savior. And I pray that from today, I'll no longer be the same person that I used to be, but I'll have a brand new life going forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.